How many of you had a good week this week? Lift your hand if you had a good week. Would you do that? Many of you had a wonderful week. How many of you hope next week's better than this week? <laughs> yes, indeedy. Many people lifting their hands. We're hopeful for a better week. I want to talk to you as we're talking on this message series about lessons from people of the Bible. We're looking now at Enoch. Enoch in the Old Testament is found in Genesis chapter 5 first, but he's found in other portions of the Scripture. And today it is my objective and my hope that we will be able to lift from the Scripture, to exegete from the Scripture, what it has to say to us, that we might be able to interpret that and understand that even in our culture today. So when we walk out of here, we are made better by it, and we're able to be who God wants us to be. Enoch is called the seventh Adam. He's seven generations after Adam, Adam and Eve creation. So that lets us know a little bit about the time period. He is a father of Methuselah. Methuselah lived to be the oldest person to ever live among humanity. He is a great-grandfather of Noah. Anybody ever heard of Noah? If you had, say yes. He's a great-granddaddy of Noah. This lets us know a little bit about the time period of when he would be. When you go into the New Testament, you read about Enoch again. And when you read about him there in Luke chapter 3 and verse 37, as a matter of fact, talks about the lineage and line of Jesus and goes all the way back to Adam. And when it does, it lists that. And when it gets to generation seven, it mentions Enoch in the generations of Jesus. This helps you understand a little bit about him. He walked among the tall people of the Bible and the tallest among them, Jesus Christ, our Savior, God's Son. He was living in a time period in the world whenever the world was being populated and people were finding their own way to live. They were not experiencing the Garden of Eden, of course. They had been driven out years before. And so as the world has been populated, people are figuring out their own rhythms, their own preferences, their own desires. And many people had chased after things that were what we would call, the Scripture calls, the desires of our flesh. In other words, we put God aside and say, how do I want to do it? And that's the desires of our flesh. And so they were doing this, and the world was becoming a bad place to live. And it is into that world that God placed Enoch. It is in that time period that Enoch would live. It was in that moment that he was called to live his life while the world was spiraling a bit out of control. It's just a number of years ahead of the flood that will happen. So we get a little bit of a context of what's going on. I want to consider five things about Enoch this morning to show us how he led a great life that ended very strong for God. First, we're going to notice that Enoch had a family. That's what the scripture says for us in Genesis chapter 5. He was married and he had some children. In verse 22 of Genesis 5, it says this about him. After his kids were born, after Methuselah was born, we always think about the length of Methuselah's life, but go back to the moment in the cradle. After he was born, Enoch evidently took that as a wake-up call. And the wake-up call called him to respond to God and to the invitation to live a life for God, pleasing to God, that would matter while he lived on this earth. It's amazing how when we have something happen like the birth of a child, the passing of a loved one, maybe a marriage, when we have some of those epic transitions in our life, it calls us and causes us 
to wake up in ways we were not awake before. He woke up in his soul. Have you ever had something like that happen to you and just wake you up and cause you to say, well, I better listen to God. I better look at God. Marriage, birth, passing of a loved one. These types of things wake us up. They do something in our life that cause us to think about more than just us. And very often we begin to think about eternal things. You know, at the staff, we have a lot of pastors because we have the different campuses and we'll get together and we'll meet. And very often we have in coaching and teaching, we have said, hey, everybody, remember, it is God first, family second, your job third. Don't reverse that and say, job and something else and put God down the totem pole. Your personal relationship with God, your family, and then your job. When we begin to do that, we begin to live a bit like Enoch did whenever he realized he wanted to have a strong relationship with God. Notice second, he walked with God. Scripture begins to talk to us about this. He walked with God. Walking is a metaphor about following God in a spiritual journey. Walking with God, the scripture says. In Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 of the Old Testament, it says, Now, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. So what does he require of us? Glad you asked, the scripture says, because the scripture answers that. Do what is right. You know, a lot of times we know what is right. We don't have to pray about it. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to ask anybody about it. We know what is right. Do what is right. And then it says, love mercy. Why does it say love mercy? If you want to judge other people, if you want to condemn other people, if you want to try to lift yourself up by making somebody else look bad in your own eyes, you can do that all day if you want. It's an indoor sport. It's one of the favorite American indoor sports around. There's no charge and they don't take attendance, but boy, it happens often. And we begin to criticize somebody else to make ourselves feel better, look better. I don't know what happens with that, but it doesn't help anybody, does it? And at the end of the day, what has happened? We have pushed somebody else down just to make ourselves feel just a little bit better. And so he says, walk humbly before God. Why are we going to walk in humility? We're going to walk in humility realizing he is God. We reverence him. He is God. He is our savior. He is God. He is our friend. He is our creator. So we recognize these kind of things, but we also recognize that without him, we are lost and separated just as anyone else would be. Our sins are different than theirs, perhaps. Our thoughts, our ideas, our methods, our timing may be different, but we need to live for him. So Enoch's decisions and his actions and his character all show, listen to this, his all-in commitment. You remember a few years ago, uh, Mark Batterson had a book out, and in that book, one of the early chapters began to help us understand this. It talked about one-way missionaries. You know what a one-way missionary is? They pack their belongings in a coffin, And when they leave the U.S., as a for instance at that time, back a few generations, they would pack their stuff in a coffin. They would go to another country because they said, I'm not coming back. I will eventually be buried in this. My mission is clear. I'm a lifetime missionary. One way. Enoch lived a one-way life. He said, I'm all in, all the time, for the one God. I ask you a question. Are you all in? Have you decided to follow him? Only you can answer that question, but you can answer that question. This week, Pam and I had the privilege of sitting down at a table, one of the restaurants in Whitehall, and while sitting there, the couple across the table, were, they were our guests. 
And they had been married 54 years that day. They celebrated their anniversary. They got married when they were three or four, I think. <laughs> but they had been married 54 years. We've been married 35. And so the young waitress came over to our table, and I explained, these are our friends, our guests. They've been married 54 years today. Her countenance just shifted because she's like, wow, that's forever. I mean, that's so much older than her. I mean, she was a young person. We have shoes at home that are older than her. And so she just kind of standing there, and we said, well, we've been married 35, thinking that might help her a little bit, bring it closer. And she said, wow, how do you all do it? Thank you for asking. Witness moment coming up. Ding, ding, ding. So, you know, if you put God first and you both grow toward him, you know, good things can happen. You've got exit ramps and you handed us a menu while ago. I put the menu away and she's it. That's how we've been able to do it. And you can do it too. And then I asked her a question, have you put God first in your life? And you know what she said? Well, my mother, blah, blah, blah. I said, very kindly, I didn't ask you about your mother. I asked you about you. Have you put God first? Enoch walked with God. In Psalm 116, verse 9, it talks about walking before the Lord. That means our walk is transparent before the Lord. That, we could get the word integrity. In Deuteronomy 13 and 4, it talks about walking after God. That means we're following Him. We're hungering and thirsting for God. We're pursuing Him. That would talk about our intensity. And then in Genesis 5, right here in our passage today that Pastor Alana has read, it talks about walking with God. That talks about our intimacy with God. I am with him. So Enoch chose to be a 24-7 believer of Jesus Christ. I notice also that Enoch pleased God. He pleased God. When we go into Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of fame of many people of the Bible, he is mentioned there also. And when we see him there, it says in verse 5 of the passage that Enoch was a man with faith in God. As a matter of fact, the next verse, which is kind of coupled with that really, in verse 6 it says this, but without faith no one can please God. You see, we believe that God is, but that isn't enough. We also believe that we want to live and follow Him every day. And it says not only is God in existence, but we believe that He is, listen to this, a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And that's exactly what Enoch is doing here. He is following after God. He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. In Matthew chapter 6 and 33, it puts it this way. But more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants. And then all these other things will be added unto you. That goes back to what we said that we say to our staff. Put God first, put your job second, and put others third. Uh, put your family second, put your job third. You mean what I know. <laughs> I'll spit it out in a minute. But it's God first. It's back to what I was saying to the waitress, put God first, and then you grow toward God. Guess what happens? You end up getting closer to God yourself, your spouse does, and you have a strong relationship. Can I get a witness in the house somewhere today? I believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. I don't think that we're always going to have tangible rewards that we just identify as just obnoxiously gifted giving from God, 
But he's going to reward us in ways that are very meaningful. And sometimes he does come through in very, very unusual ways. Robert Morgan, a writer and pastor, and a fantastic one at that. He said, during the wartime that was taking place in Gopha, Ethiopia, 42 ministers moved into that community to set up church. Now, the picture on the screen is right. The picture on your insert is wrong. Robert J. Morgan, if you look him up, that's him. Great guy. And so he's telling this story that was related to him. He said, the 42 pastors and their families moved into this community. And when they went into that community, he said they began to live out the Christian life and they began to witness to people about the good things of God. And as they did, many people were converted to Christianity to follow after Jesus. Then churches began to spring up as a result of this. It is a beautiful thing. And as the churches were starting to spring up, good things were starting to happen. But the public official did not like it. They hated Christianity. They did not like the missionary pastors. And they did not like what was going on. And so they arrested 41 of them. They missed the 42nd one. They intended to get him, but they could not find him. Yet he was in plain sight all the time. He took food and medicine to the other pastors that were incarcerated and to the other Christians. He continued on in the ministry. And they could not find him even though they had a bounty out for his head. They called him the invisible man. <coughs> I don't know how God chose to do that. But though he was in plain sight, they never seemed to notice him. Eventually, the pastors were released from prison, their families and other Christians, and 1,000 churches erupted out of the testimony of the invisible man whose name was Nana, N-A-N-A. God can show himself real. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I also notice this about Enoch. He told other people about salvation. He told other people about salvation. Now, look at the past message that he would be given. It's found for us in the New Testament, the book of Jude. When you're in the book of Jude, you're back toward the end of your New Testament. Three Johns, then Jude, then Revelation. That's where it is. Little one chapter book, verse 14 and 15. You notice there, Enoch's message in the past. He speaks of the coming of the Lord. And he warns of the coming judgment. And the judgment is because of ungodly acts. Remember I talked about the flesh, the works of the flesh? He's talking about that kind of stuff. And rebellious words against God. God isn't alive. God doesn't exist. You don't need God. Do you believe the Bible? It's all fairy tale. This type of stuff. And curses against God. But he boldly preaches anyway, even though he lived in a very unusual day. Let's bring it home just for a minute. And that would be this way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, the Apostle Paul puts it like this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though we are making God's appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Notice the first part of that. I underlined it in my notes here. It says this, we are therefore Christ's ambassador. You're an ambassador. Nudge your neighbor and say, you're an ambassador. 
An ambassador represents somebody. An ambassador speaks on behalf of somebody. An ambassador lifts up the message of someone else. We go there on behalf of someone. Every other month, our district superintendent has had me to be an ambassador to a group of pastors. I mentor them. I talk with them. I listen to them. I pray with them. But what it amounts to is I am an ambassador on behalf of the district to them. It is being somebody to speak up on behalf of. And we are to do that for Christ. That's what we're to do. But look at something else. There's something else I think I need to share with you, and that is this. We see Enoch's past message, but look and consider his future message. His future message. Now, you've got to follow this. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 11, it starts talking about two men who are going to be uh, prophesying and preaching in the tribulation period. Now, it does not name the two men. So when you read from people who study the scriptures and commentators, you know what a commentator is, that's an average potato, uh, when you <laughs> something like that, and I think that's what that hurt. And when you get out to word study books, which I have had this week, when you look at that, you begin to study, who in the world is this? Who do they think it is? Who, what's the conjecture of this? Well, neither Elijah nor uh, Enoch died. In the Old Testament, both were taken up by God. So if they don't die, what is their, what is their message? Well, the message is that he is giving is in Revelation. It's either going to be Elijah and Enoch or Elijah and Moses or Moses and Enoch. Combination of that is what the best conjecture is of what's going to be. And so we're not sure exactly who, but what's going to be their message? It's Jude, verse 14, 15. This is what's going to be. And it's the same message he gave back then. And the message is, in the tribulation, for about 46 uh, weeks, they'll be sharing this message. It, we don't know if it's at the beginning of the tribulation, at the middle of the tribulation, or at the end of the tribulation, but they're going to be speaking, and they're going to give this message, and eventually... They're saying to everybody, Christ is coming, judgment is ahead, turn to him, have faith in him, and then the tide's going to turn against them, and they will be murdered. And a lot of people say, because the scripture says, a point unto man wants to die, and after this judgment, that it would be Elijah and Enoch. I'll put it this way, I don't know, but it's one or the other or somebody. This much I know. He's telling other people about salvation. He's spreading the good news. He's telling them of the hope. We are Christ's ambassadors. If you study Pam's family back, her grandparents, R.O. and Hazel Scott, they moved to South Central Missouri many, many years ago. And when they moved there, they realized that many in the community had to travel a long way to stores and they had to travel a long way to find a church. And so they decided what they would do is they would start some stores, some businesses. And they end up starting up a whole lot of businesses. Gas company, nursing home, hardware store, travel trailer, just businesses because they're business-minded people. And then said, we need to start a church. So they started up this church. And they began that church that is still going today. So let's look at that just for a second. 
We're God's ambassadors. Annie shares the good news of salvation. Her grandparents showed the family how to do business, and many of them followed in their footsteps and became business owners, creators of businesses. And many were very successful many years. But they also started that church conveying to their family, not only is it right to have commerce, but it's also right to have faith in God. And almost all of their descendants, and there are many, almost all of their descendants are involved as Christian followers of Christ in some way teaching in Christian colleges, teaching in Christian schools, pastoring churches, college presidents, involved in the government as senators, representatives, involved in some way as Christ followers. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how you impact and influence a culture. And that is what we're trying to do at BWC, is to continue to take the light of God. When I was studying here and realizing that they changed the fabric of the culture, that is exactly what we want to be about. And then last, listen real quick. You've been so kind. Listen real quick. It is this, Enoch went to heaven. This is powerful. Both Genesis and Hebrews talks about it. The scripture says in 11.5, the Lord took him away. It means to transfer to another place. What was the other place? He He took him to heaven, obviously. He took him to heaven. One very homespun, exegetical explanation of this is this, that Enoch walked with God so far that one day God said to him, Enoch, we're nearer my house than yours. Why don't you just come home with me? I doubt that happened, but you never know. Our life is brief at its best. Can I get a witness in the house? Can I believe? In Psalm 39 and 4, it says this, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and that my life is fleeting. It's fleeting. One day we pass away, but eternity is very long. You know, in that epic pastor, uh, passage of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and following, it says in that, so will we ever be with the Lord. You know what that means, literally? It means we will forever be with the Lord in heaven. Forever and for always we will be with him. Now, Peter stopped a guy at the pearly gates one day and said to him, so the story goes, tell me one good thing you did in your life. And this isn't theologically correct, but makes for a good story. <laughs> and uh, it fits right here. So he said, tell me one good thing you did with your life. And he said, well, I saw a gang harassing an old lady, and I kicked their leader in the shin. And Peter said, how long ago was that? He said, about 40 seconds ago. So... <laughs> Carrie and Chris Shook wrote a book several years ago that became quite popular, One Month to Live. And not to be morbid, I wouldn't want to do that. But if you knew you could live 30 days, what would you do? What would you do if you knew you had 30 days? A town of 8,500 picked up that book. About 1,500 of them started reading it and taking it pretty seriously. And guess what? They interviewed him on Good Morning America sometime after that. They interviewed a pastor and said, what would you do different if you had 30 days to live, sir? He said, you know, we always talked about going to, always talked about going to see our daughter who lives up in Chicago. He said, we haven't done that. We just keep talking about it. He said, I would, I would, uh, I'd go up to Chicago and visit my daughter. So, so guess what we did? We made plans to go up there. We're changing our life. We're going to go. They interviewed the next person, 
Then they came to a doctor and said, what would you do differently? He said, well, I've really developed such a busy schedule. He said, I would schedule relationship time back in and some of the other things out. I would get the important things back where they needed to be. Then they interviewed an 18-year-old girl. She was about to graduate, and she said, I would tell people, I would tell people this. I would tell them, um, be sure to forgive. Life's pretty short. Forgive. Forgive other people. Well, my friend, this is the type of life that Enoch lived. And he was ready for that moment whenever the Lord just took him up. And one day the Lord will take us up either by death or by the rapture. And you and I can live like Enoch lived. Every one of us here can live like him. We can be part of a family. You are. You have parents. We can walk with God. Are you walking with God today? We can live a life pleasing to him. Are you doing what is right, as the scripture says? We can tell other people about the salvation that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Confess your sin to him in a prayer and believe that he is and invite him into your life. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And then one day we too can go to heaven just like Enoch. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and for this time you've allowed us to be together. Lord, you've helped us to see a life of someone that is really in a different time period than us, but really not that different from us. He had to live his life. Here we are living ours. You know what you want to say to us today? Those of us watching, those of us sitting right here in this room, you know how you want to speak to us and what you have to say. Lord, none of us knows how long we have, and all of us want to go to heaven forever. So if there's any among us today that have not made peace with you and really have never invited you to forgive their sin or invited you into their life, I pray today would be that day, and then they would walk with you for the remaining life you give them. Friend, if you have not prayed to open your heart to Christ, if you have not by faith received him, I invite you to do that now. Confess your sin to Him. Just acknowledge you're a sinner. Let your sin separate you from God. Do it quietly right there where you're seated. Just something like this. Dear God, I do recognize I am a sinner. I don't want my sin to separate me anymore. I confess my need of you and I invite you into my life. Be my Savior. Help me to learn to walk with you, to follow you to be transparent before you and to grow in my relationship with you. Thank you for coming into me today. Thanks for forgiving my sin. And thank you for eternal life. In Jesus' name. Amen.